This cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK9. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. Hello and welcome to Earl Grey, the brand new Trek.fm show totally dedicated to TNG. That's right, folks. You asked for it and we are here to deliver. I'm your host for this evening, seated in the center chair, Daniel Prue. And with me tonight is First Officer Darren Moser. How are you, Darren? Uh, I'm pre-beard Darren Moser, but uh, I'm having a good night. How are you doing, Daniel? Oh, I'm doing very well. It's good to hear. And to my left, we have Counselor Philip Gilfus. How are you tonight? I- I'm doing great, Daniel. Um, am I going to have to wear this skirt the whole time, or is this just going to be during this first show? Well, at least for the first five or six years. Later on, we could... We can maybe consider getting you an actual standard uniform, but for now, I'm thinking you're looking pretty good. Ah, oh, well, well, thank you. And, and I just want to know that I could never say goodbye either, Darren. I was gazing longing at you, longingly at you across the, the, the center chair, but I, I was kind of crossing my fingers, though, as you were reading that, Daniel. I'm like, which chair is he going to put me in? <laughs> I, got, I got a 50-50 chance of being the beard. Oh, oh wait, <laughs> excuse me. I'm going to have to say that again. I'm sorry, Darren. I... We could never say goodbye either. <laughs> oh, it makes so much more sense. Season one, counselor. <laughs> so did we inadvertently create a little Imzadi relationship between you two? Well, it's going to be a will they, won't they for about seven years. That, that'll make you the wharf character that uh, breaks into, uh, <laughs> that they decide to write in in the, the side show uh, in an alternate universe that somehow makes its way back. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. All right, so we have the start of something great here, obviously. Okay, so this is Trek FM's dedicated TNG show, something people have been asking for for a while now, and we are here to give it to you. We are all about TNG all the time, and if you've listened to any of our sister shows, like Warp 5 or To the Journey, To the, to the Journey! journey! or the orb, we will follow a similar format as they do, as, which means we are not a, uh, a strictly episode review show, but we are, are we're more pulled back. We're here to look at the all-encompassing parts of TNG. We're, we're here to discuss bits and pieces of TNG each week for you, the listener, and we are excited to do this. So, so let me ask you, Darren, how did you get into TNG? Why, why TNG? Why do you enjoy TNG? Well, TNG, or Star Trek The Next Generation, was the first Star Trek that I was exposed to. And I actually vividly have memories of the, the end scene of the season one episode, Conspiracy, where the Admiral explodes in a gut-wrenching spray of... Uh, of of debris coming out and there's a green alien inside his chest cavity wanting to steal my soul and it was slightly terrifying slightly traumatizing but I never never looked back and uh it was 
since then, you know, catching up on it, watching a lot of it, I, I definitely remember watching um, the, the the series finale and the great five part best of Star Trek The Next Generation hosted by Jonathan Frakes and then leading up to All Good Things. And that was a, a great night of television in my house, I'll tell you that. But, but Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, even with the series that came before and after it, uh, I always just identified the most with for... Um, I enjoy how Star Trek always looks at our future as opposed to another science fiction series where it's you know, this is some dystopian future or this is another galaxy far, far away. In this show, this is a vision of what humanity could be, of what we could be as a people. And while I know there's lots of social aspects and and aspects of men that would be very difficult for us to overcome, it it is nice to go into a world where we can put some of those differences on the shelf and, and just have a good conversation, go find some aliens, you know, and have a cup of Earl Grey. Excellent, excellent. So, so it's, am I to understand that conspiracy is your first exposure to Star Trek? It was at least the one that made the most impact on my young and impressionable mind. That's understandable. I mean, it's a as far as Star Trek episodes go, it doesn't get much more graphic than conspiracy. So you really started next gen with a bang. <laughs> nice. How about you, Philip? Let's let's hear your origins with TNG. Sure. This and this is my Blu-ray origins version um, of how I got into the Next Generation. It looks so nice and high res. You know, and I'm. It's one of those things. I wish I could remember the first episode of Next Gen I saw, but I, but I can't remember. All I know is my sort of Trek evolution was. I remember, you know, we had uh, VCR tapes, you know, back back when I was young that my parents had, and I and my dad had Star Trek one through three movies on VCR and so, uh, tape, and so I watched those. I'm like, this is interesting, and then maybe I saw one or two original series, but then that, you know, being a nine to ten year old in the uh, uh, early '90s, you know, Next Generation was on the air, and so I feel like, you know, like I said, I can't remember my exact first episode. But I, you know, I was in the fifth grade or fourth or fifth grade, and and it must have been the fourth season because I think a lot of those fourth season shows just seem really familiar. And so I, I started watching it live and just getting immediately into it, and and just watching it, you know, as it aired for those you know fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh seasons, and you know, being at sort of a young age where you're sort of absorbing everything, you know, I would watch a Star Trek episode and be like, what did that word mean? I'd go to a dictionary and flip the pages and be like, you know, some word that maybe Q said or, or Geordi said and be like, I don't know what that word actually means and have to look it up. And so kind of expanded my vo- vocabulary right away. And of course, you know, Captain Picard, which this, this won't be, you know, the Captain Picard podcast, at least this episode, but, you know, uh, Captain Picard was just a really a, a role model. You and I were talking over in the Captain's Yacht earlier about the fact that the reason that I drink Earl Grey is because as a 10-year-old, I saw this, you know, larger-than-life bald man drinking Earl Grey. I'm like, I want to drink that tea. And, you know, I want to read Shakespeare and and I want to learn about classical music and, and all that stuff. And so I could go on and on about Captain Picard, but we'll save that for another time and place. But just seeing all this, you know, the science, the exploration, what Darren talked about, about the positive future. I mean, you know, 100% that affected who I am today. You know, goodness knows I'm not perfect, but but that's always served as an aspiration. And so the, the, the positive message of next generation, the utopian future, but then still... The, the, but still dealing with the morality plays of, the, of all the episodes and right and wrong and, 
and and that's you know that's Picard to me, but the other characters too. And so that all uh, you know just got me. Whatever that does, it got me at that as a ten year old boy, and just stuck for the rest of my life. And you know here I am, you know two, several decades later, and and uh, you know I, and I've seen all of Star Trek, but but the next generation is always first in my heart. What about you, Daniel? Were you a uh, VHS Voyager, or uh, were you catching this show on uh, on first run? You know, actually, right out in the hallway here, I have about probably three quarters of the first season on VHS still. I think my father had ordered them. Honestly, there there's not a time when I don't remember TNG in my life. Like, it was as far back as I can remember. I used to watch those tapes over and over and over again. Like, I could recite to you a very large portion of 11001001 episode like <laughs> you know i mean it's always been a part of me and and i love tng and i remember and i think it was i was very young at the time but i think it was the uh, the the docking scene in the motion picture when you hear that theme for the first time now i I, I had never seen anything from the original series at the time, and I remember hearing that music and coming down to watch TV, and I'm like, okay, this isn't this isn't the Enterprise, this this isn't Star Trek. Who are these people using my music from my show? Where's Captain Picard? I remember thinking that, you know, and uh, so it's interesting that that TNG is all of our our first exposures, I think, right to to Star Trek and uh, it's just it's a show that just sticks with you I think no matter what well as a, as a character once said you'll love many girls in your life but you'll never love that first one the same way you did <laughs> all the others I caught a little bit of a Scottish accent coming through there <laughs> Philip I'm gonna go ahead and drink this uh, green liquid out of my uh, cup right here <laughs> okay so that's kind of where we're all coming from we're all obviously huge fans of TNG Let's talk about why TNG is important to the overall Star Trek mythos, right? So if let's rewind back in time. And this is a time before I was born. So if I get any facts wrong, I'm sure people will, will correct me. But if we go back in time, right, up to, a, to a time long gone before I was ever born, we have the original series, which lasted three years in the 60s, which we all know, and then movies one through four. And then when Voyage Home came out, and it was a huge hit, obviously the the people decide the people at paramount decided hey let's let's try again let's do another show and and then in 1987 tng was born but it's 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 hard to can you guys imagine a world where that didn't happen where encounter for farpoint didn't happen where would we be where would star trek be right now if if they didn't green light that someone posted and i was just looking at it and i can't remember who it was um it was on twitter or facebook they they posted a picture of Star Trek movies one through five VCR tapes in a set. And, you know, you were just talking about where would we be? Yeah, Star Trek one through five would be all the movies that would exist. Yeah, isn't that wild to think of? I mean, obviously four did well enough to justify five under any any conditions. But then five came out and, well, well we, we all know five. And there would have been nothing. There would have been nothing else. This huge explosion of Trek that we got in the 90s. Oh, it was the it was the golden age of Star Trek. I mean, in in 94, you had, you know, two shows running concurrently, a movie, 
like, I mean, theme parks were coming around the corner. I mean, you could not get more Star Trek than like 94 and a little 11 year old Darren just soaked it up. Video games were coming out. There were novels everywhere. (laughs) I mean, you're right. It's TNG. TOS obviously invented the franchise, but TNG reinvigorated it i mean it really it, it brought it back from the dead for a new generation some <laughs> for, <laughs> for a new generation uh, and and it's interesting to go back uh, and to think that we almost didn't get it first of all and then it almost failed i don't believe patrick stewart unpacked his suitcase the first <laughs> season because he just did not feel it was gonna it was going to work and then when it did, uh, I think the cast, I think the cast knew something special was happening, but it still caught them all by surprise of what Star Trek was, because there wasn't really anything like that at the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about the pressure today with the, the new Star Trek movies, and then you know people talking about a new Star Trek series. You know, think about all that pressure every time you know those movie comes out, or but like you know, this is like. 10 times that pressure because all you had was the original series and it was just it. They were trying to say, well, we're going to do something new. And people were like, I don't think so. And, you know, this was pre-Twitter and pre-Facebook, but uh, there was still enough, you know, fan rage of like, no Kirk, no Star Trek, hashtag. <laughs> and, and you know what really is, amazes me even today? You know, Darren, you just mentioned, would it work without Kirk? It, essentially, you could make it work, but, but the easy way out of that would be to make someone like Riker the captain but the brilliance of tng is is i think not that I, I love the original series but but the brilliance of tng is that it it was willing from day one to go out and c- try to do its own thing i mean there were definitely missteps like the second episode where they just kind of carbon copied a tos episode but i believe that was a writer's strike uh, issue though more on uh, on you know, because of the writer strike in you know the early or in the late eighties, that they literally could not write something new, so they had to recycle episodes from previous uh, previous Star Trek series. But we got to see a fully functional data there, so I mean, it, it has its charms. <laughs> it has its charms. But I mean, like if you asked, I'm sure if you asked anybody in the early eighties, what do you know of Star Trek? Well, we know Captain Kirk, we know Spock, and then they were to say, well, there's this new Star Trek show, no Kirk. No Vulcans at all to be seen. You know what I mean? Like they took a lot of really, really big creative risks that paid off in the end. I don't think they paid off right away. But as the series went on, I mean, we built and built and built and we had this mega phenomenon that was TNG, which is something, you know, Star Trek hasn't seen in that way, you know, before that or since. So that's why I think it's important that we talk about TNG. Yeah, and I think it's good to recognize, you know, having talked to all y'all um, in various parts of, of the 10 Ford and in various shuttle bays if we, as we've had our discussion. You know, we, all of us here love all, love or, or extremely like all of the other Star Trek series. So, you know, don't make any mistake, you know, listeners about us, you know, knocking down other series. But, you know, TNG certainly is, is, is the star in our sky for us. And so, but, but I think the one thing about TNG, which is, can be said for every Star Trek series except for the original one, is that each series is almost a reaction to the last series. 
So, you know, next generation, you know, it's like literally was 20 years, you know, almost, you know, later than, than the original. Title's very specific. <laughs> and so, you know, we have, okay, well, we're going to make this a little bit more friendlier. A counselor, you know, therapy was in, in the 80s. And so we're going to have a counselor on the ship. We're going to, you know, have a little more PC and not have the captain, you know, fighting every other episode and, and romancing and, and all that stuff. He's going to he's gonna be more thoughtful. He's going to be more diplomatic. And, and we're going to just have, you know, different things. And, and guess what? The Klingons are our friends now. You know, we're talking about no Kirk and Spock. Guess what? No, no Klingons as enemies. And like, what? You can't do Star Trek without Klingons. There's one on the bridge. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and someone could say that Deep Space Nine was a reaction to Next Generation and, you know, and so on and so on. And so, but, but I think Next Generation, it, it, it tried to continue with the things that made Star Trek great because, you know, Roddenberry was still involved, obviously. You know, and we'll, we'll keep saying it throughout all our episodes why TNG is so great, but, but it's certainly, you had the seeds from the, from the original series and then sort of like, okay, how can we, some things we want to tweak from that. Well, and beyond just like we like we've been discussing on what Star Trek: The Next Generation did for the franchise, what it did to television was just as impactful by making the choice to run Star Trek: The Next Generation as a syndicated show, which wasn't really. I mean, there were syndicated shows back then, but not not on that budget level, not uh, not in that regard, and so that I think helped entrench Star Trek into all these different stations that were carrying it, all these different people that were exposed to it and also kind of separated a bit of the, the network control from it. So it could grow and become, you know, this series. And now we see that model everywhere. And it's, it's just that I think Star Trek was the, was the show to really make syndicated television, like become a new era. And, and we're reaping those benefits for the years to come. And and not only do we see that from other shows, we still see that impact from TNG. I mean, you it's almost like any part of the day, any hour of the day, you can flip to a channel and TNG probably will be somewhere there. I mean, there's always a, some sort of a marathon going on or just a random episode. I mean, even today, I mean, its popularity is super high. You know, and on, now it's on Netflix. People are loving it on there, discovering it for the first time, but more, more likely discovering it again, like they did early, you know, late in the 80s and, and early in the 90s. It's, it's, it's a testament to how good that show stands up. And, and a lot of people, I think, throw a, a fair amount of criticism at TNG for being a huge product of the 80s and looking very 80s-esque. But 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 the themes and the characters and the stories of that show are so long lived that that it to me it doesn't inf- affect my viewing of of the show at all. I mean, I could watch episode one and still get really important, really good messages out of it, and I love it every single time. Well, yeah, you can't watch you know the Drumhead or the Measure of a Man and not say that those are not more relevant today than they were in the eighties when they were created. I mean it that's part of the timelessness of Star Trek. Yeah, and, and I think the lessons that we can learn from Shades of Grey, I mean, I, I apply that to my life every day. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm like wondering, oh, what did I do in the past year? And then I just remember everything I did in the past year. And then there you go. I always keep my eye out for, you know, weirdly shaped branches with holes in them and just never get close to those because I just don't want that experience. Those tree branches will bite you. There's, there's no doubt. From henceforth, maybe we should we should refer to that episode as the episode that shall not be named. 
Should we just call it Macbeth? The Macbeth episode. Well, is it? I think. I don't know. That's a little tricky because Data often will quote Shakespeare and and attempt to enter his understanding of humanity through the theater. So we don't want to confuse that with a Data episode. But <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, and I think the thing, um, you know, with, with us all loving Trek, we also are not blinded by our love. You know, we we are we can admit where where uh, you know some things don't work. Um, I I know Daniel and I are both um, we're at different points, but we're th- both doing rewatches, and I'm at the tail end of the second season, so I'm a few episodes away from Shades of Grey. And then I know Daniel is working his way through the third season, and so, you know, there's some episodes in the second season, not not a lot in my opinion, that's just me, but like two or three that I'm like, yes, worst ever. You know, I'm not a fan of Times Squared and, and some others, and, you know, it, it, and I can be frank about what doesn't work for me, but, but I, you know, even re-watching the, these shows, I mean, this is 2013, I'm watching something that came out in 1988, I'm still like, oh, that is interesting. Oh, okay. I don't know if I noticed that. You know, that would be a great discussion point right there. So, I mean, you know, in my opinion, it's not never distracting. Like, oh, 80s stuff's going on here. But, but it's a timeless thing. Timeless message. When the the first season came out on Blu-ray, and, and I mean, because season one was not the greatest television in the world. I mean, we'll just, it, it took them a while. It has its charms. Yeah, it took the characters a while to get traction and, you know, things to kind of fall into place. And I mean, when they when it clicked, it clicked and the show was amazing. But uh, when when watching those Blu-ray discs, it was worth it for the visuals because I'd be watching an episode and I'd be like, wow, okay, this plot. okay, And then it would cut to an exterior shot. And the ship looks so beautiful in HD, the restored footage from the model and everything's balanced and the hum. And I was just like, okay, it's worth it for every time we cut to a shot of that ship because it just looks so good. And it just, you know, eats up my Blu-ray player all the seasons. I actually have two things to say and respond to that. One, just to directly respond to what you said, the, the engine hum that was added to TNG, I think is the most brilliant thing ever. There is a 24 hour loop of it on YouTube. And there are times when I will occasionally put it on just to relax. It's very, Oh, it's so soothing. It's wonderful. I mean, and, and every track after that has incorporated that engine hum. That's very low level kind of hum that you hear at all times. And I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Secondly, though, I also think a lot of people who criticize TNG for being a product of its time are the kind of people who give TOS a pass for its cheesiness for being a product of the 60s. And I kind of see them both in that same vein. Like, I can appreciate the original series for what it was. I can go back and watch it and say, hey, this this comes from the 60s, but there are still really important messages. And I don't mind that the buttons on the consoles are all gumdrops and, and little jewels. I, like, I, I, I can suspend my disbelief to the point where I can still enjoy the episode and still see what it's trying to tell me. In the same way, I think a lot of people are a little bit less forgiving of TNG being a product of the 80s. Like, the early two or three seasons have that, that wonderfully cheesy, I think, in my opinion, synth pop, synthy you know music and i love it i love it every time it comes i and it's very 80s you, you can't get away from it but i think it adds to tng's charm in the same way that a lot of people will criticize the bridge for looking like the you know something from the hilton that's okay i'm okay with that that's part of tng to me i, I just think that sometimes people it maybe because it's a little bit more modern people are a little less forgiving but i think over time 
people will probably come to appreciate those those aspects of TNG more. And I'm definitely a apologist for the early seasons. I mean, I, you know, I can think probably five, you know, six or seven years ago, I would say like, I'm not watching a next gen ever episode where they're not wearing a collar and you know show it Riker doesn't have a beard no collars no show <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not watching anything where Riker doesn't have a beard but doing my rewatch i mean i'm here to tell you people first and second season has a lot of good episodes so you know if, if, if people that want to automatically pan it i mean yeah you know up up a long ladder horrible in the second season but there's a lot of good first uh and second season episodes i mean i've I would really, you know, suggest people who have maybe just said like, oh, I, I only start watching from the best of both worlds onwards. You know, there's some good early stuff on there, too. Like such episodes as uh, Matter of Honor. That's uh, true. That's true. <laughs> Measure of a Man. Oh, boy. Who watches The Watchers? Anyone? No, no. We said good, good <laughs> episodes. <laughs> I actually just uh, finished watching Sarek, which is one of my favorite episodes of TNG. Mm-hmm. And it's a third third season? Which is, yes, right before, uh, I think two or three episodes before The Best of Both Worlds and... Uh, I mean, season, uh, this is my personal opinion. We don't have to get into season by season breakdown here yet, but season three, I think, is just phenomenal. I mean, the, it has yesterday's Enterprise in it. I mean, come on. You're not going to get much better Star Trek than these episodes. You want to teach someone about lighting, watch yesterday's Enterprise, because it really, I mean, not in a, in a bad way, but in a way of how it, what you can convey with just a simple shift from you know, up lighting to down lighting. It's, it's incredible. The, the, that D looks totally different, totally different than, uh, and if you want to be, if you want to go to the extreme of the lighting example, you could watch Star Trek generation. <laughs> Wait, did you know in generations that they were orbiting a sun? I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> we, you know, even though they don't have windows on the bridge to look out ever, it, that doesn't come, you know, till 2009. It, Let's have the brightest, harshest glare coming through. Picard, he gets, he he knows how to operate, you know, the snap zoom and all the other tools, but the whole, like, turning down the brightness, I I don't think they know where those keys are. Well, they're just being good stewards of energy. You know, Enterprise is very green. You know, if you don't need to turn the lights on, just turn them off. We're orbiting the sun. Everyone turn your lights off. When we've gone, you know, out of the system, everyone turn your lights back on. And then, you know, the water, you know, we try to keep the, the... the dilithium bill low as much as possible. So are you guys saying that uh, Generations is the hipster of lens flare? <laughs> That's where it started. That's where it started. That's what, you know, J.J. <laughs> Abrams was, you know, sitting at home on the couch one day and Generations came on the sci-fi channel and, and he's like, That's it. I've got my angle. I know what it is. Even when we're nowhere near a star, there's going to be something shining right in my eye. Well, back in the heyday of, you know, of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, I say that I absorbed it like a sponge, and that that may be a bit of an understatement. Um, I I had a Star Trek Next Generation birthday party. My friends were so, so understanding as uh, I, I, I literally turned my living room into the bridge and had like little cables running so I could turn on the red lights, and I had filmed a little piece on a tiny, like 13-inch television uh, that had a little probe going in front of it, and I had written down little time code, and I knew at such and such a time, if I called for a torpedo, it would show up on the screen. Uh, but I just, I love Star Trek, but uh, my garage turned into a holodeck with some crepe paper and a nice grid pattern, uh, and I just could not get enough of it. That was Halloween, that was everything. And my parents very indulgingly gave me many Playmates toys, because those things were awesome. 
I did make a couple of films with my Playmates action figures. And so that's what I did for spring break. So if you came over to Darren's house, forget playing video games or having fun. No, we were going to make uh, a stop motion film. And I think I think the first one I made was in 94. My voice has yet to drop, so I, it sounds a lot higher. Uh, but I made a couple of those in the in the mid and late nineties and they were just, they were fun. It really got me inspired to, to go into filmmaking and to, to pursue that and the, you know, media and creating things. And I've, I've been doing that since, but it kind of all started with a bunch of playmates, action figures and, and, uh, you know, and two VCRs. That's all I had. So if, if somebody were interested in viewing these films, where could they go now, Darren? I have lifted the veil of secrecy from this portion of my past and uh, uh, unashamed have posted it. So I, I will have a, a, a link in the show notes um, on your on your viewing device for, for viewing that. I, I believe they're all posted on YouTube. I, I am unashamed of the 11-year-old Darren's uh, version of Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. So did, did you have a, a good session with Counselor Troy that led to this breakthrough? It, it really did. You know, I, I fortunately, I, when I deal with Counselor Troy, it's in her office, not on the holodeck. <laughs> it's such a great age we live in right now where, and I wonder if it's partly because of the internet and because the ability of us to connect with people who enjoy the things we enjoy, no matter where they are. It doesn't feel like there is as much of a, of a stigma or... Or, you know, I'm a Trekkie. I enjoy Star Trek. I blog about it. I talk about it. I podcast about it. And for some people, not everyone, that that's cool. You know, that's not, uh, you know, they're not going to take my lunch money over that. I mean, I think the thing with the next generation and subsequent Star Trek, but just the, the time that, that it grabbed me. I mean, I mean I'm not a, uh, I, I know there's a lot of talent here at Trek FM with the people that are more on the production and, and technical side of, of, of life. But I've always been more of a social sciences, uh, law, uh, government, all that stuff. But I've taken sort of those qualities um, from the next generation and going forth. And, you know, it, it all sounds hokey and, and maybe even common sense, but, you know, all that stuff about tolerance and, and you know, unity and, and dealing with aliens, races and, and the way Picard you know, my guy, but, but then all the other uh, members too treated each other. You know, you had, you know, a, a blind man, uh, you know, flying Brian the, the enterprise D yes. Um, and then, you know, also, and then you had an Android, right. You know, and then we had to deal with what's an Android is he you know, a life or, or what, but you know, just throughout life. I mean, I've just sort of taken it for advantage growing up. Like, well, of course you're supposed to be like that. That's, that's those, everyone has those values, right. And apparently not. So, but, but, you know, I'm glad that that was sort of, you know, caught me early on and sort of like, Taught me that that was the way to go in life. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and it's and and the thing, the wonderful thing about TNG is that it took the optimism of TOS and refined it, and really and put it at the forefront. I mean, and a lot of people kind of kind of give TNG a little bit of a hard time for that. You know, a lot of people who are Deep Space Nine fans or or even Enterprise fans. They'll, they'll look at TNG and they'll say, "Oh, everybody gets along," and and it's sometimes it can be maybe a little stuffy and boring but i look at that and i'm like wow that is that is a model uh, you know for how to interact with fellow human beings and 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 obviously beyond that not that that we have that sort of experience in everyday life but this is how to treat other people this is how to to interact with people this is how everyone can benefit the most this is how you learn and grow 
And that Star Trek philosophy has really shaped a lot of, of the way I look at the world. Like uh, one common underlying theme in, in TNG specifically, but, but Star Trek overall, is that there's something and we all have something in common with everyone else that we can find and work together for the greater good of, of everyone. And, and I really appreciate those kinds of values. That's, that's really what I said. I think we all kind of feel that same way where it's, it's something to inspire to. And, and even though I don't expect the world to change tomorrow, you know, hopefully by the 20, the time we reach the 24th century, we'll be a little bit closer. Yeah. I mean, all we need to do is have a world war three an apocalyptic nuclear annihilation and um, uh, have the next-gen cast help uh, the Vulcans land, and then we'll be good. Well, the, the Bell Riots, what, those are in like 10 years or something, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Hopefully that's like, uh, you know, Terminator to Judgment Day, you know, in 97. Uh, we'll, we'll pass that one along, and maybe, it, maybe it'll happen a little bit farther into the future. Right, I mean, th- we did keep the eugenic wars pretty quiet during the 90s. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was... A, a... I barely noticed them. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, you know, like I said, just, just re-watching the Next Generation episodes, and I, you know, I'm ar- looking around my room, I'm surrounded by, of course, my Star Trek stuff, and there's only half my Star Trek stuff, because I still got a bunch in storage, you know. So, um, you know, most of it's... I, for some reason, I have four Enterprise Ds, but of course, I got my Voyagers and Deep Space Nines and and Enterprise Bs and and everything else floating around here. But it's one of those things that you know. Again, I don't come. From, I'm not a, a science mathy uh, person, but everything I was watching that show growing up and like, huh. I wonder how that does work. Huh. Let me, maybe I should look in that technical manual I saw in the bookstore and, and try and learn and, you know, sort of made, your, made it fun to, to do science and, and math, which I never would do on my own. And Next Generation just sort of called to that. And so, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, maybe it only works for kids. I'd be curious on who encountered Next Generation as an adult and what their reaction was. Because, you know, we, I guess most of us came at it pretty young, so we sort of had maybe more open minds back then. First generation, next generations. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that, would, that would be interesting. And I'm sure that we will get into these sorts of conversations as the podcast goes on. But I guess, you know, in closing, TNG, it's a special show. It launched, it relaunched a franchise. I mean, it, it, it became a worldwide phenomenon. It grew to such lengths. This, you know, when Generations came out, that was the peak of Star Trek. I mean, it, it was it was as high as Star Trek has ever reached, including, I think, the J.J. Abrams films. I mean, it, it was Star Trek permeated pop culture. It was everywhere, and it wasn't it wasn't everywhere every three or four years. It was everywhere all the time. You couldn't, yeah, every single night you couldn't turn on TV without seeing Star Trek. Whether, whether it was TNG or, or Deep Space Nine or Voyager at the time, but it, it influenced everything that comes after it. I mean, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise obviously never would have happened if it weren't for TNG. And these are these are subjects that we, we will definitely get into as the show goes on. There's some great characters from Next Generation that moved on to some of those other series, uh, whether they you know be Klingon or human. You know, it, if you sprinkle a little TNG in your show, you're you're gonna do pretty well, except Enterprise fans may disagree. But sorry uh, that's that. true. That's true. <laughs> uh, not our fault. You made a prequel, and, uh, and although Doctor Soon, <laughs> that's true. That's there true. There you go. That's there true. you go. 
I like the end of that episode where he's like, hmm, maybe, maybe robotics. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, I know what that's going to lead to. <laughs> and then he had to clone a wife and I don't know how it worked. I'm excited about the podcast. I'm ready to see where it goes. I think, I think our, our fans and our, our listeners, of which we have none right at this moment, but hopefully soon we will have many, are in for a treat. Uh, I, I think I can speak for everyone here when I say that we're excited to represent Trek FM on the TNG front, and I'm, I'm glad that we got to talk about this today. However, it is not the only thing that has been talked about on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you might have missed elsewhere on the network this week. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. Sacrifice of Angels. Again, Dukat in his overconfidence. Should we have anybody go after him? No, no, no. Yeah, just let just, him go. Yeah, That's just, right. I mean, we'll destroy him when he gets here. The Ready Room. But because they had to do this convolution, and they, so they they don't. I mean, Kirk should have had a reaction to that being Khan, and 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 when he says the name Khan, that should mean he didn't say my name is is Noonien, you know. He said Khan, and and you would at least have a thing in your mind going, oh, genetically enhanced Khan. This has got to be the Khan. To the journey. The fight. I'll never forgive you, listeners, for putting me through watching that again. <laughs> Although this episode did give us the line, was your opponent firing some type of energy weapon at you? And then Chokote goes, just his gloves. Commentary, Trek stars. Richard Matheson recap. And my favorite chapter in the Matheson life is when he was hired by Rod Serling to work on the Twilight Zone, the first season of the Twilight Zone, because that is a fantastic moment in history where Rod Serling was creating something that would eventually become an incredibly important artifact of history. Warp 5. The Mako. Well, the employment arrangements are actually relative, quite relatively interesting to contemplate. As you know, you <laughs> joked about whether they were contractors or not, but as you've stated, they, they are outside of Starfleet. Trek News and Views. Seven of nine day. She's a, she was a bit overused and it was a bit ridiculous some of the things her magical nanoprobes could do, but... Literary treks. Missions end. The question is, do you feel like Section 31 is overused? Everyone wants to use Section 31, and so they just keep popping up in every story, and I think sometimes it does a disservice to the idea of Section 31. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can check out those shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk all over Trek FM. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Windows Phone, Xbox Zune, or you can just listen to them straight from the website. Just visit trekfm slash pd for the podcast directory to get all of the links. And before we separate the saucer here, we just want to ask everyone to please support our sponsors, which is super important to making all of our shows here at Trek FM possible, uh, such as Squarespace. It's the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it super simple for you to create a blog, a website, portfolio, online store, or anything else that you could imagine. You can create your own space right now. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial and then use offer code TREK9 to save 10%. And lastly, if you would personally like to support the network and our programming visit trek.fm slash donate we have eight alien themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution and their original illustrations by tobu ushi who does most of the artwork that you see on the site you can mix and match badges and art prints and there are various levels of donation that you can choose from 
Again, these are at trek.fm slash donate, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth that we need to give you these kinds of shows every single week. All right, guys, this is our very first episode. I'm glad to have you with us. Let's say somebody else was interested in chatting with us or talking to us personally. How would they get a hold of you, Darren? Well, on the internet, I go by the name Dr. Sci-Fi, and that's my Twitter handle and website, uh, drsci-fi.com. Uh, it's also where I have another podcast called The Dr. Sci-Fi Show, where I focus on first-time sci-fi experiences, rant about the genre, and talk about space exploration. Uh, it's a really fun, just broad-spectrum sci-fi experience. How about you, Philip? On Twitter, that's basically the best place to find me. Uh, my handle there is NC public servant and that's nc for north carolina nc public servant and they can also find all the next generation articles uh i've written on the trek fm site i've written about the bad admirals of next generation i've about geordie and data's love advice and about the children on the enterprise d so i love next generation so much i do it verbally and uh written too excellent and if anybody wants to get a hold of me you can search me out on your Social network of choice at One Up Dan. That is the number one, not the word, where you can find me tweeting, posting, uh, talking, uh, anything ing about Star Trek or video games or anything nerdy. So you can go ahead and message me there and we can have a conversation. All right. And if anybody needs to reach us as a podcast and they want to share their thoughts on the show, maybe give us suggestions on what they want to hear in the future, all you have to do is go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there and you can choose Earl Grey. That will come to all three of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone, and you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter, username trek.fm. All right, guys. Well, my tea Earl Grey hot has gone to tea Earl Grey cold. So I think it's about time that we say goodbye for this week. So join us next week on Earl Grey for some more discussion on TNG. Live long and prosper. Make it so. Fire. Fire.